This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 830, A Conversation with Michael Lark. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 830. It's our conversation with Michael Lark. Actually, it's the second conversation with Michael Lark. If you want to go back and listen to my first conversation with Michael, you can do so. It's episode 816 from October 10th, 2020, recorded on October the 8th. Uh, This new conversation, uh, which was a lot of fun, we recorded a month and a half later. The first time we spent primarily on his DC and Marvel years um, and how kind of formed the artist he was, um, how his you know, burgeoning feeling on creator rights kind of came out of a lot of his kind of experiences with Marvel and DC and how we were kind of setting the stage for his, uh, his eventual journey to uh, image and working on Lazarus with Greg Rucka. So this episode, we get a lot more into the kind of nuts and bolts of what that process was like. I asked some naive and silly questions about it because I'm just curious, you know, you make a big move to working on creator own. What's that like? What was the experience like? How do you pitch it? How do you get it picked up by image? How does it, how do you operate? How do you work? How do you pick the colorist? You know, maybe benign questions and kind of silly questions, but I'm just so interested in the behind the scenes because, you know, you go from, you know, a specific type of structure into a different one. So I'm just curious about what that was like and working on a book like Lazarus and putting it together and creating it and what it, how he uh, views certain elements of that book and how that has fared. Anyways, I really enjoyed talking with Michael. He's such a, he's extremely generous with his time, uh, had some, you know, interesting insights as well and very open about talking about different facets of the business and his own work. Um, so I think you're really going to dig this. Uh, you can always email me, Adam Chapman, at comic comicshenanigans at gmail.com. I feel like sometimes that if I could have named it something different, maybe I should have because it is a bit of a, a tough thing to say sometimes. Um, but I remember when I was first coming up with names for the podcast, my wife was like, oh, shenanigans, comic shenanigans. And uh, it stuck and it's just what we used. Anyways, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on on Stitcher. Thanks again for listening, and we will uh, jump right into the episode now as I sit down again with Michael Lark. Enjoy. Michael, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you today? Hey, doing pretty good, Adam. How about you? I'm good. You know, it's interesting. It's only been, it hasn't been that long since we chatted. We chatted on October the 8th, and here we are in the the end of November, but it feels like a lot's changed. (laughs) Really? I know. Yeah, so... Yeah, this is the first time uh, because of COVID, you know, since that's gotten worse, you know, this is the first time I've really um, sat and chatted with anybody. So let's see what happens. I actually had a, an interesting, uh, similar idea. I had a, an interview with Adam Hughes, and he was like, you know, I haven't really talked to anyone in a while. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I think we had like a two-hour chat, and he's like, I hope I didn't talk too much. It just, I haven't really had a chance to really talk to anybody in a while. I'm like, yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I mean, just you know, by the nature of our jobs, we're kind of hermits. Um, but, you know, you add this to it, I mean, it's pretty much just been me and my wife. Mm-hmm. My son a couple times, he's at college, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just you know, I just found out this afternoon that my next door neighbor has it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting winter. 
For sure. It's interesting, I guess at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm, you know, it's interesting, especially with all the creatives who work in comics, when the other side of the world kind of realizes, oh, wait a minute, we have to work from home now. What was it like for you being like, I've done this for years, guys? Yeah. I mean, you know, I understand it's not for everybody. But, um, and it's a very privileged situation as well. Um, not everybody has the privilege to be able to just work at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm well aware of that fact. Was it, was it just kind of interesting to see how people who weren't used to that kind of idea had to kind of acclimate? And cause it, 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 it made me laugh cause then I had the ability to work from home. I just usually went into an office, but I had the ability before. And so it wasn't like it was that different to work from home suddenly, but it was interesting to see people online and people being like, you know, trying to figure out how to make it work and the work-life balance. And I'm like, it's not that hard. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder, you know, when this is all over, I wonder what's going to change about the workplace. Because I bet we're finding out that a lot of this stuff can be done at home. Mm-hmm. And done just as well, if not better. You For know? sure. Um, you know, I, I wonder if a lot of people are going to be able to just stay at home to work and, you know... You know, they've had to develop a new sense of discipline about working from home. I mean, before it was like, yeah, I worked when I was at my job, and if I took work home, I worked on it if I couldn't. You know, and suddenly it was like, you have to work from home, you have to have hours and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So last time we chatted, we kind of um, we did we did a kind of a nice arc of your career, and we kind of ended just as Lazarus was starting, kind of the uh, the beginning of the the image years, I'm going to call them. Um, but before I kind of want to go into Lazarus, I'm just I'm going to ask you a lot of naive, silly questions. So I apologize in advance about kind of how the mechanisms worked when you guys kind of first hooked up with Image, and also what your impressions first were. I mean, as you've mentioned in the last uh, discussion, you know. There, there was this kind of uh, you know new revolution of people taking books and, and and launching these new books out of image, which is very different maybe than the original image days back in the day, which were very different. Um, what was your impression? I mean, you've been in the industry while you, you saw the beginnings of image, etc., and how this you know maturation of what image has done has changed over the years. How, from an outsider who's now working with image, doing their own creator own book, how has your impression of image changed over the years? You know, um, I, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't, I'm not a big reader of comics. Okay. And I don't, like, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's going on at all. Um, you know, I like what I like, and it's, it's, I mostly, um, I think we talked about this before, I mostly just look at the art. Mm-hmm. And I kind of poured the stories through the art over just years of looking at them. But, um, you know, I just kind of, it's more of a study for me now than anything else. Mm. So all that to say, um, also that I wasn't the target audience of the first go-around with Image um, when they first started. Because that was, you know, my art style and the kind of stuff I do was so different at the time than what those guys were doing. So I wasn't really, um, wasn't really there for that. You know, I just, I just, I didn't have any opinion on it at all. And so when I came to this time around, it was, it was really fresh. 
um, you know, I just, it, it was just a first impression to me. I didn't have a, a preconceived notion. Now, so many years of working on, you know, other people's properties, basically. I mean, obviously, and we've mentioned this last time about how you've really become a proponent of creator rights, et cetera, over the years. But, you know, what was that? What is that? What is that? Those first steps away from kind of pre-established characters and companies and working on something that's going to be, you know, yours and Greg's. I mean, obviously, Greg was a huge part of that probably adding comfort to you of knowing, you know, you've got a partner in this as opposed to just being your own project or having to kind of find someone else to work with. But like, how did you feel kind of entering into this, this new stage? I mean, I, was it scary? Was it something that you were, you just felt was right? Um, so I'm trying to recall, you know, cause you ask an interesting question when you say, was it scary? Um, cause it was kind of my day job. But um, Image treated us really, really well. And I realized how upside down the system was as far as, like, who was getting rewarded for the work and who owned the work and who who was putting the most sweat into it. Mm. You know, we are the, you know, it's, it's ours. We are directly responsible for it. Sinks and swims sinks or swims on every decision we make. Um, so yeah, there, there is, that is kind of anxiety producing, but I think Greg and I were taking with us enough of a track record. And, you know, I had just, I mean, I was in the process of leaving Marvel when we started talking to Image about it. Mm-hmm. And I think Image jumped on it immediately and publicized it immediately. And the reaction was so strong that, you know, all, all my fears were dissipated immediately. You know, do you think a big part of that, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of, I kind of know the answer, I guess, to the question, but I mean, it, it obviously meant something that you and Greg were known quantities together and not just separate. Like sometimes you see these new creator-owned projects and they sound really exciting because it's two people that maybe you haven't seen work together before and you're like, well, I wonder how that's going to work. And that's part of the draw. Whereas with you guys, you guys were already an established flavor. You've worked together before. So people probably had a sense of, oh, these are two flavors I already know I like. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know... I'm I'm a fan of both. You know, I I, uh, <laughs> I like I like seeing new teams when they come together. But I don't know. I mean, I can't predict what people like, and I can't I can't even look back and say, oh, okay, it was because of this that people liked it. I'm just like, oh, people liked it. That's awesome. You know. Mm-hmm. And and again, this is I can't remember if we specifically mentioned this, but I mean, as work at Marvel was kind of winding down. You know, were you act? Was it always kind of in your mind? Well, that's maybe the next step is creator owned, or was it really part of that kind of organic discussion with Greg and kind of figuring out what to do next? And he's kind of talking about different projects, and you're like, "Well, that's the one I want to draw." Like, was it more kind of happenstance that he happened to be talking about this project, and you're like, "Yes, I'm in," or were you always kind of like, "I need to find that new thing, and it might be something I have to drive myself." Um, I was never thinking that there was going to be something I was going to have to drive myself. Um, I'm a I'm a team player for the most part. I mean, I've um, you know I did the the Raymond Chandler adaptation, and I'd love to do something like that again someday. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever see myself. Um, I you know 
there's a part of me that would love to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to create this little story and I'm going to draw it and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes right down to it, I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we just got to, we just got to accept our weaknesses sometimes. And, and I'm, I'm just an awful writer. And, you know, I've learned from working with really good writers that, I mean, occasionally I often question, um, that, you know, make them make a different story choice than they might have made before. But I would never presume to say, this is the way it should go. Hmm. Because I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> no, there was never any thought of, you know, I'm going to be the next Mike Mignola, I'm going to be the next writer-artist that, you know, was working for the, and the way you knew could write, and then suddenly I'm going to be, you know, known as a writer. No, that's not ever going to happen. Have you ever thought, I mean, it's interesting, so like when it comes to your abilities or inability as a writer, depending on how you want to look at it, do you think like it would ever be something where you would maybe want to plot something, but you'd have someone else actually kind of do the scripting? Was that more the piece that you think that you wouldn't be able to do, or is it just the whole shebang, kind of the, the general kind of plotting and scripting is just an area that you know that it's just not your forte and you're better at you know what you do, the visual style? Yeah, that's it. I'm not sure. Like, I don't, yeah, no, I don't. Like I said, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll talk to Greg about plot stuff. Um, you know, we, but we have a really collaborative relationship, and he's the only one that I've ever felt like I, I had the right to do that with. I did it a little bit with Ed, like in one story arc of uh, Gotham Central. Um, we got to the end of the story arc, and one of the characters in the story arc had kind of asserted themselves uh, as the story progressed. And it was just like a real natural kind of organic thing. It was just a great character. And suddenly the ending that Ed had been planning to write, like that character was absent from it hmm. because, you know, that wasn't what he initially planned. And when he wrote the script for it, I said, I said, I argued that, and, um, you know, and, and, and that's the only other time I would do that, hmm. that I'm aware of. Yeah. <laughs> so, Michael's the biggest pain in the ass, he's lying. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know, I hope not. So I guess that the, the reason why I ask those types of questions is because I always think, like, you know, it, when eventually, you know, everything's en everything ends. So eventually when Lazarus comes to an end, like, have you do, I mean, it's obviously way off, but do you think about, you know, if I was to do another creator-owned project when this is over, who who would it be with or, like, how or, or how that would work? Because, again, you've, you've had such a, an amazing collaborative relationship with Greg, as you said, that you've been able to do things that you have never really felt comfortable doing with any other writer. So what what do you think that would look like after Lazarus? Or do you think it would have to be a Greg project just because, you know, it's so... The, the partnership is so strong and the collaborative nature is so strong, and as you said, you're a team player, that that would just be an easier fit as opposed to finding someone new? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've thought about all the possibilities. Um, you know, I've thought about when Lazarus ends, are me and Greg going to immediately do something else together? Is that a smart choice? Um, you know, is or do we maybe need to take a little break from each other and then come back? <laughs> You know, I don't know. I mean, I've got, I've got 
a little something that I want to do that I don't know how long it would take to do, maybe like a year. Um, that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe when Lazarus has, I could do that and then find something with somebody else, you know, give it time to gestate and develop before I have to jump right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the little something I want to do is just an adaptation of something. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a dream project for a while. And everybody that I've talked to about it has been pretty positive about it. So, um, you know, I just have to see where things are at. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- we're kind of getting to ourselves because we've just skipped right over Lazarus. Well, I'm going to come back. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> So when, when when you guys first kind of have those in the kind of initial conversations with Image, I mean, obviously, you know, it's such a different beast. Like how, even working with an editor at Image, like how different is that experience? Because obviously you guys, are, again, are, are driving this bus in terms of, you know, everything about the book. So how does working with an editor kind of, obviously it would differ greatly from working with an editor on something like a Marvel book, obviously. So how would you kind of characterize that difference? Um, you know what? I don't know that it is that different. Um, if you're working, if you've been working with a good editor at Marvel or DC, mm. uh, you know, uh, and, you know, the editor that we have now on Lazarus uh, edited both of us at DC. I mean, at uh, Marvel when we did work there, and we liked working with him at Marvel so much that you know, when we had the opportunity, we had an opening, we jumped on it. So, so that's that's so, so fascinating because again, like the idea, of, like it's usually it's at Marvel, it's the editors kind of putting together the team, whereas here it's kind of like, well, we have an empty spot for an editor of our book. Come on over. <laughs> well, you got to remember that. I mean, that's why I say the good editors. Hmm. I mean, the good editors know how to assemble the teams, but um, I mean, the the good editors are going to let the creators pick the team. True, you know. The, the good editors are going to let the creator say, here's who I work well with, you know, here's who I don't. Um, but, you know, a lot of the tasks that they have to do are the same. You know, they have to make sure that uh, our clunky old rusty machine, you know, turns out books. I, I imagine ourselves like this old steam engine pumping out black smoke and shit. Um, <laughs> Turning out comics slowly but surely. No, but yeah, no. I'm the engineer that. Hmm. Now, a question there is: so when when you guys kind of you know settle on we're, you know we're going to work on this book, um, how does scheduling work on a, on a creator owned book like that? I mean, obviously it's you know it's it's not meeting the same type of deadlines, I guess, as maybe a Marvel book or a DC book would in terms of having to be strictly monthly. But how did you find adapting to it being a little bit more flexible and how how much did you push yourself to try and keep it as regular as possible? Um, I pushed myself a lot more than I ever pushed myself at Marvel or DC because at Marvel or DC, if you fell behind, they just got a fill-in artist. Hmm. Um, you know, and that's, that's fine. I You know, I like fill-in artists sometimes. I like seeing other artists working, you know, writers working in the same sandbox. But those weren't characters that I owned. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I have an obligation to Lazarus to, you know, try to get the book out of public. I mean, we've, we've, that's been an, an uphill battle for us from day one. 
Um, you know, we've never, I, I have never been, I'm not built for monthly comics. I've realized that. Greg and I have agreed that, you know, um, whatever we do after Lazarus together, um, is going to be, you know, like original graphic novels, mm. like look at John are doing. Um, that's what I've always wanted to do. Um, I've never wanted to draw monthly comics. <laughs> it's interesting how well, you, you find yourself in, in, in these positions, though, where you end up having to do exactly that for a lot, a lot of your career. Yeah, well, I was about to say, the only place where I would... Um, I would not say that's true was Gotham Central because that was meant to be like a TV show. It was mm. meant to be super hot. But everything else, yeah, I, I would have preferred to have done it as an original graphic novel. Um, I think Lazarus would have made a great series of original graphic novels. And I think that, um, you know, we would have, I don't know, we might not have built up the fan base that we've got. Mm. But, um, you know, it, I think that it would have the the story would have lent itself to that. Now, from you know, running, I mean, obviously, like it, the comics are always a business, but obviously, when you're doing a creator owned, it's you kind of probably feel that even more so um, because you now have a bigger stake in the business and how it how the book is performing. How has it been? What has it been like for you and Greg to see? you know, sales numbers where, you know, you're having, you know, you're doing your, your, your regular monthlies and then, or not monthlies, but you know what I mean, the floppy issues. And then you have these yeah. trades, which have sales that, you know, are, are, are so strong in times even, even more so. How, what, is that a weird feeling that to be like, well, you know, what, why is this happening this way where people maybe aren't following the monthly adventure, but then they're having the, you know, the, the collected editions instead, like from a creator perspective, how do you view that? Um, I don't know. I, I don't understand comics marketplace at all. If I did, I would probably, you know, have a lot more money. <laughs> but I really don't understand it. I, I like drawing comics. I like telling stories with pictures, but I don't understand the business of it. I don't understand the marketplace. I don't understand, you know, why people spend their money the way they do. Hmm. I'll, it's just not in my wheelhouse. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Do you, I mean, from your perspective, I mean, like, when you guys are working on the issues, I mean, do you think people are, are losing out by not kind of following on that monthly journey in terms of, you know, um, how you build up the story and just the way that comics are initially, you know, meant to be kind of uh, experienced and consumed? Or do you think that they're getting more out of it by having these you know, kind of these blocks that they get to have all at once? And But then you also have a longer wait kind of between these blocks when these trades come out. Like, I just... And these are maybe questions that are unfair to ask, but I, I just am curious. No, um, like I, you know, I, I, like I said just a few minutes ago, um, I think that it would have lent itself to just being a series of graphic novels. But we also did certainly build up a fan base by at least trying to get the book out on a monthly basis. Hmm. So, I mean... I, I don't have any answers about that. You know? It's just, uh, I don't think anybody's missing out on anything. I, you know, they're, they, they're different. They're different packages for different tastes. Mm -hmm. There are some people who really like having those, 
those monthly installments or those quarterly installments. And so for those people, we try to give them bonus material. Hmm. Um, since we've been doing the quarterlies, we do it. There's a short story in the back um, that is you've got illustrations in it and, and different things like that. Um, those aren't going to be in the trades at all. So the trades are for people who want to just get like the economy book. You know, and they can put their books on their shelves and, um, you know, but they're not, you know, having to spend a ton of money. And then we do the hardbacks, which are going to contain all the short stories and stuff and uh, also extra bonus material that'll be in the hardbacks. And that'll be two trades. So you're waiting a little longer for that, but then you're getting the nice hardback book. So, you know, it's it's different things for different tastes. Mm-hmm. So let's say you were the consumer and you're walking by and you want to pick up Lazarus. Which format would you go as, as a consumer? Um, for my, for me as a consumer, for my first taste, I'd go for the trade, the first trade. Hmm. Um, that's I'd want to start at the beginning, and um, but I also wouldn't want to spend a ton of money. I don't, I'm not going to invest a ton of money in this. Now, if I'm already a Greg Rucka fan. Or I don't know if there are Michael Lark fans, but if there are you know fans of what we do together, then you're going to say, mm, no, I want to go ahead and get that first taste when I can first get it. But I always I always buy trades. Yeah. I don't buy any anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, no, I haven't bought a floppy here. Age. What was the last here. floppy you remember buying? Um, it doesn't count because it was uh, <laughs> it was it was eBay. It was like a collection of uh, Jorge Zafino, Terror uh, Incorporated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it doesn't count. No, I, you know what? I would um, sometimes I would steal some of them from my son um, when he was living with me. Uh, I would steal his comics from him sometimes. <laughs> but. Uh, but you know, it wasn't stealing. I would always give them back. I didn't want to keep them. I didn't want to store them. Um, but then it's like if I like something, I'll wait for the trade. Hmm. And then I'll lose trade. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's actually talk about Lazarus because we've you know we've danced around it. So we're working on sure. Lazarus. I mean, obviously you have to const- from an artistic standpoint, you have to kind of create this world. You have to create a cast. Um, how long did it kind of take you to do some of that initial design work to, until you were kind of happy with, you know, the the lay of the land and how everything was kind of working? Like you had to design, obviously, members of the core family. You had to d- design forever. What was what was that design period like? And do you like kind of designing characters and that kind of stuff, or do you find that to be a bit more the drag because you just want to kind of jump in and, and start actually showing the action? No, I you know. Um, I love all that beginning creative, you know, figuring out big stuff. That's my favorite part of it. Um, Duncan Fregredo and I were talking the last time I saw him, and he was saying something along the lines of, you know, yeah, like, the beginning, like, that's the thumbnail drawings. That's the best part. It's just downhill from there. Everything is all downhill from there. So, yeah, I love doing that stuff. Um... You know the characters grow though as the as the story goes on and the way I draw them, I get I, I kind of settle into them a little bit, um, and you know my style to me is always kind of changing and altering a little bit, mm-hmm. and so I'm always 
trying to figure out how to draw them again. Um, yeah, some of them are easy. Forever is easy, but I think I've drawn her more than anybody else. Do you find, I mean, you mentioned this when you had worked on Daredevil that, you know, not not getting bored, but it, it became repetitive and, and not maybe as much fun as you initially thought it was going to be. Has Lazarus ever felt that way? Or has it always felt very invigorating? Um, you know, it's like, it's like any long-term thing. Yeah, some days it's work and some days it's not. You know, um... You know, even if you got the best job in the world, you know, some days you go to work and it feels like work. So there's, you know, that there's no like long term, you know. Oh yeah, no, it's I'm, I'm over it. No, but there are days where it's like I'm over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> A couple days later, I'm like, you know, excited about doing it again. Yeah. And, and again, the, the whole idea of again constructing this like this world and this atmosphere because it's you know it's it's dystopian it's 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 you know it's it's definitely different than our well hopefully different than our current world. Um, wh- creating all that kind of design work, how much effort really goes into not just maintaining the visual style and making sure that you're using the same type of kind of visual cues and backgrounds and settings, but how much work kind of goes into actually creating them all and creating these scenes because, again, we're not we're not in the real world. They're not, you know, dealing with New York as, you know, Daredevil's flying around or dealing with Gotham, which is, again, very kind of uh, detail and uh, grounded, and you're dealing with something that's a little bit different. So how much design work and kind of prep work do you have to kind of do to make sure that everything kind of fits visually? Uh, a lot. Um, you know, sometimes... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I have to do a lot. Um, we even try to think about like, um, you know, each family as having a different visual style. Um, you know, I don't know how well I pull that off. I try to, um, but yeah, we there's a we talk a lot about it, um, and you know, Greg, Greg often includes some kinds of details like that, but. Uh, he doesn't have to do too much. I think we can kind of tell what each other wants. Mm-hmm. Now, when you guys are kind of breaking things down, like how, you know, when he's maybe talking about a plot, like how how fo- how formed is it to the point where you can kind of, as I said, as you said before, like it kind of goes back and forth and you can kind of add things and, and talk about that. Like how fully formed is his plot when you guys are chatting about it or does it kind of go through many different kind of steps? And how like how often are you guys kind of, collaborating and discussing how it's going to develop? Um, we, we only talk about that if I, if I specifically ask about it. Hmm. Um, I don't want to step on Greg's toes with how the story is forming in his, in his mind. You know, that's, that's his thing. Um, and I try to respect that. Hmm. I mean, does he again? Like, because this is your guys' project, and it's different than again working on something at Marvel or DC, where 
you know, you want to plan ahead, but you never really know what has to, what might have to change or bend or whatever because of the whims of, the, you know, the publishing company and other things they might be doing. Obviously, this is different because it's you guys working and you're not kind of pursuant to what other people are doing in other books. It's just your own book. So you're able to kind of plot out further. So with that process, I mean, how far in advance do has Greg kind of worked it out to the point where you're aware of it? And how much of it is kind of still more noodling in his mind to trying to figure out the pieces? Like, how how do you guys kind of work on that in terms of that kind of the endpoint planning? Um, <laughs> I know Greg has an ending in mind, and I know that. <sighs> I mean, it's kind of like. Kind of like you say, yeah, I'm going to take a year off of travel, and I'm going to go to Europe, and then I'm going to go to Asia, and I think I'm going to go to Japan, and then probably Canada, and then down into South America, and then back home. <laughs> That's the plans Greg's got. But obviously, there's a lot of fucking detail that goes to go into all that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that I think that that's a pretty organic process for Greg. I really don't know. I don't ask him specifics um, unless I feel like it's needed. Hmm. Like, if I don't understand the character's motivation, um, and I usually don't even know I'm asking for these things, but sometimes it'll be like, why is why is this character doing this? I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time, like, having them act this scene out because I don't know what I don't know what's going on. And so then Greg will tell me, well, this is what's going to happen in, like, three issues. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like to do that because he think, he doesn't want me to telegraph it. Hmm. So sometimes he doesn't want me to know. But, you know, sometimes it becomes like, I, like, I don't understand why this character is doing this, dude. I think I don't get it. Hmm. And so he'll have, to, he'll have to explain to me. Like, there are things he's done that I'm just like, dude, this is not how I saw this story going at all. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure I'm on board for this. And um, he'll just, you know, it eventually becomes like, just just trust me. (laughs) And and that's when I have to step back and go, oh, yeah, I'm a shitty writer. (laughs) (laughs) With... um... I mean, when when you are kind of working on these projects, I mean, when you get a new script in for Lazarus, do you have a ritual? Do you have like a specific kind of like, okay, I got to block things off. I'm going to put on a specific type of music and I'm just going to like, you know, lose myself in this new script and then start to kind of visualize, try and think about how I'm going to visualize this. Like, do you have a specific kind of ritual or is it nothing nearly as archaic? Um, it's completely organic um, because... I, I don't have any kind of ritual at all. It's um, that's the hardest time to overcome procrastination for me, mm. um, and it's really there's a lot of you know rearranging my closet, um, stuff like that. That is part of that process. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. I, I have to I have to kind of find my way into it. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, once I get that ball rolling, it's fine, but, uh, getting the ball rolling is the hard part. 
Why do you find that a challenge? I think it's like anything that, I mean, I think anything that you want to try to do well, you kind of have to do it every day. Mm-hmm. Real easy to fall out of the habits that you need to have. It's not, you know... At least for me, drawing comics is not fun and games. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a serious thing. So, um, you know, getting into that mindset and getting that ball rolling is is the difficult process for me because it is kind of it kind of becomes a little obsessive mm. and kind of all consuming when it's going on. Um, it takes a lot of energy, and I'm getting older. <laughs> No, well, I am. I mean, I'm in my mid fifties, yeah. so um, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. Unfortunately, when I had more energy and I could, you know, work longer hours and just you know, kind of, you know, fire have have my you know my RPMs revved up that that high that long, you know. Do you find? I mean, do you think that part of, I mean, part of that kind of pressure also is also because it is your own book? Like again, it's that. You know, it's your guys. It's it's all based on you guys. Like it's you know, if if you do a crappy job, they can't just replace you. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess you could replace yourself, but I don't think you'd yeah, want to do that. No, I mean, here's the thing. Well, you know, Greg and I have talked, and you know, there there is no Lazarus without either of us. You know, there was a point where I needed to take a break. Um, And I needed to take a break where I knew I was taking a break, and I knew for how long I was taking a break. Mm. And I had some other things I wanted to do in that short time, but I just needed needed a break. And so what we decided to do was the, um, the, you know, it it was kind of a standalone series, but it included all the characters from our series, so it actually ended up kind of becoming essential. Um, but Greg did a different issue with different artists. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, no, we're never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I, I believe that if there came a time where I said, Greg, man, I'm just, I've, I've hit the end of my road, man. I can't do it anymore. Um, he would wrap things up neatly. But I don't think he wants to do that. I think that he wants to come to the ending naturally and organically. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as, as you said, he wants to go to Asia and South America and Canada first. Yeah. I mean, he knows the order he's going in all these countries. Um, you know, it's just the details. So uh, I want to ask, so we had talked last time about, um, it kind of went back to the, my discussion and question with you about um, Gotham Central and all the different collected editions and the fact that, you know, your name was never given as prominent uh, kind of a position on the masthead. And you said that, part of, of that experience was part of why you ended up putting uh, the colorist, uh, I don't know if I'm present, pronounced, yeah, pronouncing it correctly, is it Santi? Yeah, Santi Arcas. So they're obviously very prominent on on every cover um, and it's it's hard to imagine the kind of the book with a different colorist. How, what was that experience like kind of finding the right color tone for a book like this? Um... It was actually remarkably easy. 
because we had somebody else we were going to use um, that I wanted to work with. And the, the first, like, test pages just looked completely wrong. Um, just looked not at all how we were envisioning it. And we talked to the colorist, and, you know, we all just kind of amicably, I hope, agreed that, you know, to ask the colorist to do something different from what they were doing would have been like asking me to draw differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, I think we all respected the colorist enough not to do that. So after that, um, we kind of started looking around and Greg already knew uh, Santi, Santi lives in Spain. And uh, he has, he and a lot of other Spanish artists have an agent that they deal with that handles all like the English business stuff Mm. or the American business stuff. And uh, we already knew him. So he recommended Saki and it worked out really well. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine the book with any other colorist because it just seems so so well, like, so perfect. Um, and a great marriage with your own art. Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, we're happy with him. I mean, you know, we're... Sonny gets the short end of the stick, I think, because of the fact that, you know, he's often the last the last line of defense against the deadline. Mm. <laughs> uh, he, you know, all the shit runs downhill to him. <laughs> Uh, I feel kind of bad for him sometimes, but I mean, he always, you know, even if like Sonny's first pass on a page isn't exactly what I had in mind, uh, and sometimes I don't know I had something in mind until I see what Sonny's done, and then I'm like, oh, wait, no, I should have told you, this is what I was thinking, mm. and he'll fix it, and it'll be fine, you know? Mm. What, I mean, it's it's interesting, I guess, because uh, now, do you feel like you have more, like a that's a good example of a story, but do you feel like you have more control over the final product of your art? Because again, now as it's being something that you guys are kind of running and then are you feeling more collaborative or more open with the colors to be able to kind of communicate what you're looking for to have those kinds of changes as opposed to any other kind of non creator owned projects? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Sonny is good at what's that, what he does. Um, I try not to step on his toes too often, and if I have a suggestion, a specific suggestion, I try to give it to him. You know, when I when I when I give the page to everybody else, mm. um, you know, because I I I pre-letter the pages essentially. Um, I I make sure there's enough room for all the balloons. I I put. Uh, you know, I copy-paste the text into the, into my pages uh, using a hand-lettered font. And just to make sure there's enough room for everything. So there already is balloon placements on there. Um, and so I can also make color notes there if I need to. Mm. And sometimes you. It depends. It depends on if I want something specific. Sometimes I'll find a photograph and I'll say, Sonny, this is the kind of, this is the kind of palette I want for this. Mm-hmm. You know, or a painting or something like that. 
is there a character in the kind of well, I mean, in the main cast or just that we've come across in the book that you found was the easiest in terms of the original Inception, you know, kind of sketching out what they were going to look like? That was the easiest design to kind of settle on that just felt right. Um. Yeah, there are. I mean, there's there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um. For a lot of yeah yeah yeah. I mean, there a lot of the characters are like that. I think that's more often than not. Um. Yeah, because Greg and I talk about who these people are before I start drawing them. If they're going to be somebody that's going to be important. Mm-hmm. Um. Sometimes, though, I think that the way I draw a character might make Greg get more attached to them and make them more prominent. Hmm. You know, I think that, you know, when I did the, um, when we did the story arc where we saw all the different Lazaruses for the first time, hmm. um, we call them the Lazari. I don't know if, if, if I don't know if Greg ever says that in the book, but um, you know, yeah, we've that's just become the floral for us. But uh, yeah, when I when I first drew all of them, I think some of those characters, Greg kind of described them, and I kind of took what he described and ran with it. And there were some of them that popped out, and we went, "Oh yeah, we like that one." <laughs> Um, Alima was was the first one that springs to mind. She's the um, the she's from the Middle East. Uh, I can't remember the name of the family, but Greg ended up doing uh, one of the short stories about her. Hmm. And I don't know if he ever intended to give her any kind of prominence like that, but we all really liked her when when I started drawing her. She just popped right out. But Forever kind of did too. Um, yeah, I mean, the first drawing I did of Forever, now that I think about it, she she looks a lot like she's going to be looking in this upcoming story arc. Oh, really? The very first thing I ever did of her, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, we kind of knew, I mean, I didn't even have a script or anything then. All I had was Greg's description of this woman getting shot and coming back to life and beating the crap out of these guys. And um, and I then all of a sudden the image is like, yeah, we'll do it. And they needed a, a promo image. Mm. And so I whipped this thing out real quick, and that's kind of who she was right from the beginning. When when you do have shots where you kind of you're you have more detail on the sword that she carries, um, I mean obviously it's a pretty important detail. Um, how long did it kind of take to make sure that it, it looked kind of what you need, not just a sword, but the, what it was supposed to mean and represent for the family? Uh, how long did it take to kind of get the right design look for it, or is that pretty easy? Um, I believe. A lot of times Greg will describe, Greg loves the sword and the bladed weapons. Hmm. Uh, that's Greg's thing. He loves that shit. <laughs> and, um, you know, they kind of became these ceremonial things, but also kind of, I don't know, I kind of saw this kind of samurai sort of, you know, um, 
you know, I, I just, the, the whole ceremonial and these elegant plays, I mean, it's, it's kind of a long tradition. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing this kind of neo-feudalism, you know, this sci-fi feudalism, this kind of the genre I would use to describe what we're doing. And so to have them have swords was kind of, you know, it, it was, it's really just kind of a hearkening back to kind of all the different tropes and stuff through legends. Hmm. And probably history, too. I don't know. I don't know that much about swords. <laughs> well, I feel like you must know a lot more now. <laughs> yeah, probably. I know a lot more about all kinds of weapons now than I used to. But, I mean, for the, I, I kind of knew that Forever was going to have essentially a katana. Um, and I think I just looked online for, like, tactical katanas. Hmm. Uh, for something that looked a little more military and a little more futuristic. And um, just kind of designed from there. And at first, the shape wasn't quite right. Um, and it also didn't have a, I don't know what you call it, but the guard that keeps your hand from getting cut. Oh, yeah. Uh, the guard that goes over the handle. Um, and Greg wanted one. So... I had to design one that kind of fit with the blade, and at the time that I did that, the blade got a slight redesign. But the essentials of it stayed the same. So that one was actually a long time coming. It took me took me quite a while to get that right. How much like the kind of military gear reference material do you have around your house? And if people, if you know, if the authorities ever checked out your house, would they be worried about you? No, they wouldn't be worried about me. I mean, the closest thing I've got to anything that resembles a weapon is like a, it looks like a nine millimeter, but it's an airsoft gun. <laughs> uh, and I actually bought that. My, my son was, um, he's, he's studying to be a filmmaker and he needed it for a prop for a movie. Hmm. So, so we modified it and cut off the orange airsoft thing and, you know, which you're not supposed to do, but we did it anyway so that you could use it as a prop. But yeah, no, I'm not into weapons and guns or anything at all. Um, I've never owned a gun. I live in Texas and I've never owned a gun. <laughs> I've never fired a gun. I've held a couple guns, but um, I have no idea what it's like to fire a gun. Hmm. You just draw a lot of guns. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and I have a lot of squirt guns and things like that <laughs> for reference. Um, no, the, the military hardware is stuff that, you know, usually we discuss it and we look it up online, and a lot of times it's like looking at websites that are showing, like, prototype designs of stuff that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, the soldier of the, you know, next century or whatever, you know, it's not a century, I guess, but the soldiers of the next, you know, decade. And, um, and we kind of, look at the way those people are extrapolating and then use those ideas to design our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, I'm curious what the, um, what the process is for you guys in terms of kind of coming up with these, you know, very eye catching covers. Um, you know, obviously you know, kind of uh, at times looking kind of a little, a little bit different than what you might see in the, in the, in the actual interiors, but how do you go about kind of designing your covers for, for Lazarus? Well, I didn't, you know, I started off doing the covers, and then I got a painter, illustrator friend of mine, Owen, to do the, uh, to do paintings, because I thought I wanted painted covers, 
And then I kind of had other ideas, and I started to be like, well, I kind of think I want to do this. And so I took them back. Um, but covers are really hard for me, so I, um, I appreciate the compliment. Um, a lot of times they're just kind of trial and error. Mm. I'm sorry. What was your qu- repeat? What your question was? I'm just curious about the you know your overall process of putting together okay. a cover. It is it's real trial and error. Um, it usually involves well, I have to do the cover for the next issue about the time I finish the current issue mm. because that cover's got to be on the inside back cover of the current issue. Okay. So. Um, but usually I haven't seen the script for it yet. And Greg hasn't written the script for it yet. And um, Greg knows he's going to go to Canada, that issue. <laughs> but that's about all he knows for sure, I think. And you know, I, I could be completely wrong about this, but at least that's what he discloses to me. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of, like, what what's going to be the focus of this issue? Um, what characters are going to be important? What conflicts are going to be important? What what's going to be the overall thrust of the issue is kind of what we what he gives me. Mm. And then, based on that, I will try to come up with something that could be iconic, and sometimes. Um, I hit a solid single. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I, I hit a pop foul. Sometimes I strike out completely. Um, and, you know, sometimes I might, you know, get a double or a triple. So, um, you never know. They're really, really hard for me. I've never thought in color. Hmm. Uh, I don't, I, I picture everything in terms of values. And I might have an overall kind of colored tone, like kind of in the back of my mind, but I have a hard time articulating it. Okay. So, you know, it's sometimes it, it, when it comes to doing it, it's kind of like pulling teeth for me. Has it always been that way, or is it even, is, or is it even worse on Lazarus? Because, again, not always knowing exactly kind of the direction you need to kind of cover with the cover as well. Like, do you find it more challenging or has it always been kind of the bane for you? Always been the bane. Since I was in art school and college, it's always been the bane. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask like, are there any specific kind of co- uh, cover artists out there that you really enjoy? But I guess if you don't kind of look as, as at as many comics, that might be harder to answer. Well, I mean, I, you know, I look at a lot of covers. Um, okay. Yeah, because, you know, when it comes time for me to do my covers, I'm like, God, what do I want to do? Now, I I end up... Here's the thing. A lot of the covers that I like, uh, because of the approach to color on them, I don't know how to do that. Hmm. And um, so I end up kind of doing this weird bastardization of the things that influence me. Um you know, I end up looking at a lot of, like, old movie posters. Like, when I say old movie posters, I mean, like, the kind of painted, painted, like, you know, theater posters from, you know, like, the 30s and 40s. Okay. Um, I look at a lot of, I look at a lot of illustration work. 
Um, but those guys were all painters, and I don't know how to paint. I never learned how to paint. And um, I can play around with color on Photoshop, but it's not the same, and so I never really learned how to do it. Hmm. Okay. And I mean, now, you know, I, I can try to learn on the job, but I don't necessarily want everybody to see me learn it on the job. So... <laughs> I don't feel I don't feel terribly comfortable doing it. Hmm. Well, I mean that 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 makes sense. With um with with, with working on Lazarus Risen uh, again, like now that you're you've been in kind of the swing, what what is it like working on that book in the middle of a uh, of a pandemic? Has that influenced your art at all, or do you feel like it's influenced how you're working? Oh my God! It you know we've all really struggled with. You know, it shouldn't be that way because we're all used to working at home. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been a really stressful time uh, this last year. It's been a really, really stressful time. And I do not respond. I, I, I need to have calm and uh, a general lack of chaos in order to be able to sit down and, and draw every day. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, if things are if things are on fire, it makes it really, really hard to do that. It makes it really, really hard to focus and, and get into that that place where you know where it's just my hand and my eye doing all the work, mm-hmm. and and I don't have to. You know, it 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 just when that happens, it's the greatest feeling in the world. And some people are better at accessing that than others. <laughs> and uh, when it's when it's a stressful time, I find it really difficult to access that. Hmm. So I, yeah, I guess this year would be extra difficult. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always difficult, but um, yeah, this year has been extra difficult. Now uh, with um, oh, I lost my train of thought completely. Um, I was going to ask another specific question. Ah, I lost it. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Was it another COVID-related question? It was not COVID-related. It was something more about uh, the current book, but I, I lost it in my head, and I don't know if it's coming back. Um, working on, like, for you, does it, like, what was it like for you when you see the, when you guys were working on Lazarus, and you you know, it was, it was the continuing numbering, and now we're kind of doing a new numbering. Does that mean anything to you, or how do you feel about it kind of being called something different now? Or does it, is it all the same to you? It's still Lazarus. That's all that matters. Well, okay. When we stopped doing the month, we're trying to do the monthly, um, we didn't always hit that target. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't like doing that. You know, we, we were all very unhappy about that when it happened. And, you know, that was when I needed the break. I, that's, that takes the longest time I'd ever worked on a monthly. The, the most consecutive number of issues that I've ever done. And because we got up to like 25 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, of anything, that's the most consecutive issues I've ever done. Um, when we came back from that, um, you know, we did the miniseries, and that was supposed to fill the gap. And then, as I recall, Greg got sick and had some things like that going on. And so my, my break ended up being like twice as long as we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. 
and it was already supposed to be kind of a long break. And we were kind of like, you know, and do we want to go back into the rat race? We'd already done two issues. And we were then we started talking about it, and we were like, do we really want to go back into this rat race again? And we started talking about different possibilities, and um, my wife, I think, was the one who suggested that, you know, hey, have you guys thought about doing quarterlies? And I pitched it out to Greg, and he said, that's an interesting idea. And so Greg took it to um, Eric Stevenson, who said, that's an interesting idea. And so we were all like, well, let's try it and see what happens. And, you know, it's been, it's been a lot better because I think what, what happens is we all get to where the end of the deadlines come in and we all get that kind of big adrenaline rush of like, get everything done, get everything done, get everything done, get everything done. And um, then we're all kind of burned out for a week or two and if you're working on a monthly you can't afford to get burned out for a week or two <laughs> um, but when you're working on a quarterly that only happens four times a year and plus you've got longer to prepare for it so um, you know it's worked out well for us and thank god the people who read our book are loyal and um, most of them are from what I can see. So, you know, thank God for them. I guess that's kind of the, the conceit with the, with creator-owned books is that, you know, more often than not, it's people coming for the creators and they're willing to kind of stick around and say, you know, like, I, I want this. It's kind of, I mean, um, the recently concluded Sex Criminals is kind of the same idea. It's, it was running for, like, a long time, but they would have, you know, these longer breaks uh, in the middle, and but people stuck by it because again, it was you know people who had really loved what those two guys were doing, and so they were like, "Well, we're willing to wait for this." And so there's probably more patience and understanding and and loyalty because they're there for you. Uh, yes, they might fall in love with the world of Lazarus, but you know, in most cases, what probably brought them there was you guys to begin with. Well, and we interact with with our readers and our fans. Um, Greg is really, really big on that. I don't do it as much. Um, but, you know, I like when I do. Mm. And our fans are, like, really cool and understanding. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, those guys are human, too. You know? Some, some days, you just, you just ain't got it. And, and everybody gets that, you mm-hmm. know? People are cool about it. And, you know, we've kind of gotten used to it in a lot of our media anyway. You know, I mean, like, how long is it going to be until the last season of Better Call Saul comes out? Mm. <laughs> you know, but I'll be there for it. You know, there's nothing that would stop me from being there for it. Um, I'm, I'm a fan. And, you know, I feel the same way about, you know, stuff I read or, you know, the comics artists that I like. You know, I'm a fan. I'm going to be there for it. You know? I guess, I guess for so much of our kind of media, it always felt like people didn't trust the fans to be loyal enough. <laughs> so they would just kind of pump things out as fast as possible to keep it going because of this fear that, you know, if, if they went a little while without it, that they wouldn't care anymore. And I guess if you deliver really high-grade product, people will stick around. They'll, they'll wait. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we're also lucky that, um, you know, the the business model at Image 
affords us the luxury to be able to make a living doing our comic at the sales figures we've got. Mm. You know, I mean, we... You know, we depend on the trades and the hardbacks to keep us afloat. Um, you know, we make more money off of those than we do off of the floppies. Um, Isn't that wild? Um, no, not to me. No? Like I said, I, I'm really comfortable with that. I I like that. You know, I... I we kind of approach the monthlies that way. Like, almost like each month is like a season of a TV show. Mm. You know, and we know the general direction of where it's going to go. Um, you know, like, I know generally where Greg is going with the story arc we're doing on this. And, um, you know, it's, it's like the thing that I've been waiting for since, like, issue, like, two. <laughs> Um, it's the moment that I've been waiting for in, in this, in this thing. So I'm really excited to get there. Um, oh, I'm sorry. What kind of thought? Well, I was, we were just talking about, I was kind of saying how it's wild that, that, you know, that, that the trades are, you know, kind of where everything is in oh, order yeah, terms yeah. of keeping things afloat. And that it just seems so wild to me because it's so, you know, I, I mean, obviously it's been cr- progressing in that direction for like a while. I mean, the, you know, I remember in the early 2000s when, you know, people didn't really care as much about trade paperbacks. They weren't really a thing, um, you know, or they were haphazard. And then suddenly everyone kind of taking them more seriously, Marvel almost aggressively so, kind of making them a, a core kind of part of the model to the point where I remember in the early 2000s when you started hearing the phrase, you know, writing for the trade started becoming a thing that, you know, five, ten years earlier would never even been thought of. I mean, there were people who were doing things in the 80s. You know, Frank Miller was doing stuff on Daredevil at, you know, that moment uh, that were clearly meant to be standalone stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the Daredevil Born Again um, issues and, you know, Batman Year One issues of, I can't remember which book that was in. Was it in Batman? I think it was Batman. Yeah. Um, I mean, those were clearly standalone stories. I can't even imagine them, you know, being seen as like a regular monthly comic. I mean, that must have been, everybody must have known. Hmm. Now, whether they had the notion at that time that they were going to collect it, I don't know. (laughs) But I mean, I don't know anything about about those days. (laughs) That's okay. Um, uh, before we kind of, uh, let, let you run away and, uh, you know, I don't know if you're getting back to work or just enjoying your evening. Um, what can you, like now that, you know, I guess an issue just came out, what, last month, right? So what, what is that, I, again, what is that feeling of it, this issue's out and now I got to get right back into this? Or, I mean, obviously you're already in the middle of the process, but you know, what, what, what is that kind of feeling like, as you said, that kind of endorphin high of, you know, getting the, the getting the issue out, making sure it hits the deadline, and now you're right back in it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm still at the ramping up phase. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still still kind of getting my revs up. 
Um, I'm, I've had the script for about four weeks now, I guess. Um, but I've had the beginning of the script for about four weeks, not the full script. Hmm. But uh, the first scene I got that I was going to start on, I started working on it, and then I realized that, like, nah, this isn't going to be a good way to start, um, because I had, like, a gajillion people in the scene and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I've since, like, kind of been working on another scene, but the last, the beginning, the end of the last issue and the beginning of this issue have been uh, real wonky, because I moved and got married. Greg had some stuff going on. Um, you know, the whole election thing happened, which was incredibly stressful. Uh, you know, it's just been, it's, it was a crazy month. So I'm, I feel like things are just now settling down. And of course now it's like, oh, it's Thanksgiving and everybody's going to die from the COVID again. And so, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to go. It's just been, it's been a fucked up year. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think anyone will disagree with you there. I know it's so weird that, like, you know, why did this one year decide to just have all this shit? You know, and it's like the whole world. It's not just us. No, it's true. It's it's funny. I was thinking the other day that, like, I've been working from home since, you know, March. and But I feel like as a result and because I haven't really done anything since then because, you know, most of the activities I used to do, I used to go to baseball games, you know, couldn't go to baseball games anymore. They weren't even playing them in Toronto, Ontario anymore, um, let alone, you know, being able to go to one. So all these things that I would usually do to kind of mark the time, mark the seasons, mark, you know, the different things throughout the year are all gone. And I was like, when it's March again, I'm just going to feel like I missed the year. Because there's no like kind of identifiable signpost. At least, at least you have a you know you got married and you moved, so those are two big events. Uh, but you know, for the most part, I mean, a lot of it just kind of melts together. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really weird. No, it, it's been it's been like that for me too. So uh, I don't know. We'll now, see what happens. I guess because they're talking about vaccines, so we'll see. Yeah. Now you. Are you, uh, like, this is a naive question, but were you typically on the convention circuit for a fair bit, or were you not as much into that game? No, I don't like doing conventions. I don't like, I'm not real social anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, where did I, I read um, David Sedaris's uh, partner. Do you, know, do you know who David Sedaris is, the yeah. writer? Mm-hmm. Um, his partner, Hugh, uh, did an interview in some magazine who, who doesn't usually speak publicly, but he said that he's, um, you know, David's the extrovert and he said he's, he's very much an introvert. He's like a house plant or a cat. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm an indoor cat. You know, um, I like my little space here and, and I'm good with that, but it has been weird. Like the only place we can go out to eat, the only place around here that has a patio um, that we feel safe going out to eat at is the only place we've been. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and it's getting worse now. <coughs> Excuse me. As, as I cough. Um, <laughs> no, I just found out that my next door neighbor has it. So, um, you know, that's, that's as close to home as it's gotten. That, I, I mean, 
that that must be crazy because like I, I mean I live in you know Toronto and we you know we are, we've actually just recently gone as of Monday we went back into lockdown we were at like kind of a a red zone level and now they're just kind of locking everything down again and they're you know only essential businesses can be open but it's interesting because like you know as much as I live in you know definitely a bigger city and uh, I know that you know the numbers are always going up for somehow like we we've never really no one in our kind of nearby circle has ever had any real interactions with it. But then when I know people who are outside of Toronto on the kind of the suburbs, everyone seems to have had an interaction with someone and they had to get tested as a result. And I'm like, what is happening? I'm in the city that's in the lockdown because our numbers are spiking in it. Like I can't even, I can't even draw a line to someone who I know who has known someone or has known someone who's known someone who's known someone. And yet, you know, the numbers are still going up and other people have these interactions. So I can't even imagine what it must be like to, cause that's as close to home as it can really get when it's right next door and someone has this thing. I mean, how do you feel about that? How do I feel about it? Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going to stay at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't interact with this neighbor. Uh, this is the first time I've talked to her um, since I moved here. Now, I mean, I've met her before, mm-hmm. and I've talked to her before, but, um, you know, we don't we don't chat or anything, and we, you know, she was in her yard with a driveway between us, so, um, you know, I was, I was fine talking to her. We weren't near each other at all. Yeah. But she told me she had it, and I was like, oh, shit. Um, I'll go inside now. See you later. Yeah, no. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I don't know what it's like up there, but um, Texas is pretty scary. Um, we had, we, uh, my wife's car got totaled and we had to buy a new car and we found a good price on a car in a city called Gun Barrel, Texas. <laughs> and, um, I'm not kidding you. And this city was incorporated in 1969. They named their city Gun Barrel, Texas in 1960 fucking nine. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, um. Yeah, nobody in Gun Barrel, Texas was wearing a mask. Nobody at that car dealership had a mask on. Nobody anywhere had a mask on. Wow. It was scary. Yeah, we stayed out of doors the entire time. And everybody we, we talked to at the car dealership, we demanded they put a mask on. And they were like, oh, I guess I gotta go find my mask. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, no, we're not like normal people here. <laughs> um... Now, I mean, Gun Barrel City, Texas only has a population of 5,000 or something. Hmm. And um, I looked it up, and they've only had, like, two cases of coronavirus. But it's it's spreading like wildfire right now, and they're going to get cases real quick. And when they do, there's not a hospital in Gun Barrel City that can handle that. Hmm. Um, so they're going to go to whatever the nearest city is. I mean, they're saying they're saying the hospitals here in Fort Worth are going to be full up and overwhelmed within like four weeks. Oh wow! Uh, unless the trend like goes significantly downwards, and there's no sign of that happening, and you wouldn't know it from the way people are behaving here. Crazy! It is insane, my friend. Yeah, yeah. We don't go out of the house if we can help it. Now, my wife works at a store in Dallas. But it's a really small store. They only allow a few people in at a time. Everybody's masked up all the time. Um, they maintain social distance all the time. So I'm not worried about her. But, you know, I do worry about, like, my neighbors over here. 
Yeah. For sure. Wow. Well, I feel like I can't let you go on a, on a, on a down note. Um, so, so, so let me ask a, a very giant happy fact. Lazarus. What do you, what do you, you want an up note? You want it to be happy and fun? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, so let's say, like, eventually, someday, Lazarus is over. Is there any project or any creator or any character at one of the big two that would, that would attract you back into, you know, the, the non-creator-owned world? Is there something that either that's on your bucket list or a creator who calls you up, is there something that would get you to co- to go back and say, yeah, I gotta I gotta go work at Marvel or DC again? Um, I can think of no, no, there's nothing. Okay, that's a good no. answer. Uh, you know, I've seen. love for those characters and I know that some people are probably disappointed that I don't but um, I didn't grow up with them like most people did Hmm. like comics for me my introduction into comics was my introduction into comics was from a friend who gave me some 80s indie books Um, and also, like, some Alan Moore Swamp things and a few little things like that. And um, so I didn't have this nostalgic love of these characters that a lot of people do. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of done with them. Like, that phase of my life feels like it's over. You know, I'm a 54-year-old man. I, got, I, don't, I don't have stories about those characters to tell. Hmm. Fair you know, enough. I, there's... But yeah, I like I like telling stories about people that are a little more real. Like Lazarus is as close as I'll get to superheroes. Hmm. Yeah, I mean I love drawing like some superhero sword action in Lazarus. Don't get me wrong. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's as close as I want to get. Okay, fair enough. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with us uh, as the world goes to hell all around us. It's uh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice to talk to somebody. And, uh, yeah, it's... Hey, we won our election, so the world's not going to hell all around us. <laughs> Competent people are going to be in charge again soon. That's true. The adults are going to be in the room again. Oh, thank God. <laughs> all right, then. On that happy note, uh, <laughs> thank we'll you so- off. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, no problem, Adam. All right, bye.